Confidant, it's your girl, Father Long Legs, Daddy T. Um, you know me. Okay, here's another episode of You Can Tell Me Anything. This is the quarantine edition, as you are well aware, where I um we've really been just going off the rails, but I actually think we've been in a way more informative um uh, than when we were just joking around about confessions, which were also important. Clearly, I took my Adderall this morning. Okay, so <laughs> let's get into it. I want to introduce my guest, a super funny comedian. I think he used to be out here in L.A. because I remember one time we did karaoke together. But recently, he did my uh. Instagram live stream, and uh, I found out he's very into um, politics and dissecting. I don't even want to call it conspiracy because it's funny to call it that, but most of the time when I'm looking at this stuff, it's like facts. But... He shares yes. a common interest <laughs> with me, and he has a podcast called Pod Damn America, and he's very funny on Twitter, at Feral Jokes. Please welcome Jake Flores. Hey, thanks for having me. I uh, I forgot uh, we did karaoke. I never lived in L.A., but I before COVID was just <laughs> like, I uh, took like mega buses everywhere and did comedy like that, so I would just be in L.A. a lot, and um, now <laughs> not, not so much. Wow, um, I thought you were gonna say mega bus to LA, and I was like, that is because you're in New York. Uh, I hope it's okay yeah. if I say that. It's weird, like with comedy, we're allowed to just say where we live in a broad sense, but um, sometimes people get too comfortable and start talking about neighborhoods, and I'm like, well, don't don't do that. Um, don't yeah, don't tell people I, what cross honestly, street I live on. <laughs> I have I have a lot of people on the internet don't like me because I get into political stuff, and that's kind of comes with the territory. And like, I think at this point, people just know where I live. Like, I, it's just. <laughs> It's going to happen. Somebody wants to, uh, you know, egg my house or whatever. They can come find it. I guess in New York, it's a little different, too, because it's just, yeah, you could literally say I live off the subway stop and I would have no idea where you lived. But, um, right. oh, yeah, I mean, talking about conspiracy. So my way into all this was a really roundabout way, which is I started researching AI because of a pilot, which is not noble at all. None of this was for <laughs> political clout. None of this was for, you know, I like to say I'm trying to save democracy as a joke, but the truth is I wasn't, you know, it, I, I'm not being motivated from a good place. I need to be clear with everyone that I'm not a good person trying to save democracy. <laughs> I don't want anyone to think, what is she trying to do? I just started researching a pilot about a sex robot turned therapist and got really into AI a few years ago and generally like bots. So the technology has kind of caught up where it's, you know, actively being used uh, in the political sphere. And now that we're in a pandemic and I have more time, I've definitely like merged the two interests of just generally wanting the world to be better and also my knowledge from researching bots and technology. And that's kind of merged with the political world in a weird way. So that's the loose background of how I got into this. What, uh, yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit about why you're interested in this? I know you've kind of been talking about this from before quarantine, right? Yeah. Uh, wow. That's really interesting that your doorway into this was just like reading about AI for comedy stuff. But, you know, I mean, that's usually how it goes. Like, what are the things that motivate people in society? Usually it has to do with careers or, you know, something eventually that'll become a job or something like that. You know, that's uh, honestly for me, like I, I'm pretty into uh, history and politics and sort of like you know, left-wing activism and stuff like that. But I mean, I honestly make a similar argument. Like, I, I think it, for me, a one, one thing that really was very radicalizing was um, simply being a comedian and then mm. Trump getting elected. Because like, I, to me at that point, I was, I thought you, if you're a comedian, you either have to quit comedy or <laughs> like do a lot of research and try to understand what was going on in the world. Because what you're doing as a comic is commenting on society a lot of the times. And that election just clearly showed mm -hmm. all of us. We don't know what the hell we're talking about. Nobody predicted that, you know, mm -hmm. we all kind of thought it wasn't going to happen. And so for me, I thought, all right, time to go hit the books and then maybe improve my worldview so that I could actually write jokes about this that aren't just pandering to, uh, you know, to, to dead ended conspiracy theories or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like you talk about conspiracy theories a lot. And I think that a lot of people do kind of think of me as one of those, like, um, 
one of those guys in comedy who's like, you know, everyone's a sheeple or whatever, but <laughs> I'm actually very anti-conspiracy theory. Yes. I, I think that they are um, sort of uh, useful for keeping people satiated and they're anti-material analysis. So mm. I'm a big Marx guy. I'm a big commie, right? And I'm, <laughs> I'm into analyzing the world through, you know, what would be referred to as historical materialism, which is, uh, uh, you know, a very complicated sort of way of saying, like, I, looking at what you can actually measure rather than yeah. what conspiracy theories do, which is uh, conspiracy theories, you make a lot of assumptions, I guess, you know? Sure. Well, that's the that's what I've been learning more as I've dug into this is how uh, how skillful and crafty I, I don't want to just call it the right. I'm going to call, I, I guess I'll call them the extreme right because that's part of it. Um, part of this, there, and there is a group that's been pushing this. I don't know how much we'll get into that really because it really does sound like I'm talking about a deep state, which I'm not. But um, <laughs> there are, you know, powerful lobbyists. So let's just leave it at that. Who want us to sure. feel like the entire right is against us, which is not true. So I, I fall into the trap when I even use that term because I have Republican friends who I would consider... Or they might consider themselves on the right, but when I say extreme right, I'm not talking about them. So I'm falling into this trap as well. Um, but yeah, that's a skill they use, conspiracies, to get us to question everything, right? They say things like, you don't know the truth, question everything. But you do know some truths. It's not just because you found out one thing in, in your life. Like, let's say you got cheated on. That can make you feel like in a day that nothing you know is true. It feels like the rug getting pulled out. But some things you know are true. The sky is still blue. Like you're probably still going to have to eat food in the next few days, even if you don't want to or you'll die. Like there's truths that remain. Uh, liberal conspiracy. <laughs> I do not eat. Okay. Uh, true. You, I'm yeah, powered maybe by the sun. <laughs> Soros might, you know, not send that check over for <laughs> your food. Yeah. But, um, but that's how they get you is they get the vulnerabilities of people who already are questioning their reality. And then they go, well, if that's not true, what else is not true? And then they have you hooked. So I agree with you. Conspiracies are actually a weapon. And when we talk about truth, it's pointing to facts, but they sound as crazy as conspiracies. So people lump them into one group. Here's what I think it is, right? I think it's pretty simple. And it has to do with the fact that America is so pro great. Oh, well. capitalist right <laughs> uh yeah, yeah right and that's what makes it great right is that we you know we um we worship money right mm -hmm. and so it goes against everything american to really question that maybe that's not the most perfect system in the world is to you know mm. just uh, the our god is you know the dollar and uh and that rich people are the, the considered the best people in society so here's what i think is going on with a lot of conspiracy theories right it's pretty simple well, rich people control everything and they don't want you understanding that they're our enemy. So yes. they come up with all these other enemies, right? So like mm. on the right, you got Trump. He's looking at, everyone says this about him. Oh, he's got his right wing, you know, working class populist people. Right. And mm. like, I think it's a little more complicated than that. Like a lot of people like Trump are actually very middle class mm -hmm. or even upper class. Right. But, but there are a lot of angry working class people in America. And what does he do? He goes around and he says, Hey, your life sucks. You're mm -hmm. angry. You don't make enough money. You know, whose fault it is it's Mexicans. Right. But it's like, it's not Mexicans It's rich people. Rich <laughs> people are the reason nobody has any damn money because yeah. they hoard all the money, you know? And I mean, the, kind of the same thing happens. I'd say on the other side too, this is why yeah. I'm like, there's no point in arguing left wing, right wing here. It's poor versus rich, in my opinion, is really what's going on. And then they just sort of use both of those sides to keep, you know, various people uh, kind of fighting with each other. But like on the other side, too, here's here's the thing. This is an unpopular opinion. And you don't have to go with me on this because oh, not a lot of people do in the world of comedy. But um, I think the, all the Russia gate stuff, also conspiracy theory <laughs> stuff. And it's. To me, it seems like a really convenient way of uh, kind of not mm. addressing the reasons that when I say we, I mean, I voted Democrat, you know, last time around, mm -hmm. the Democrats lost the damn election to Trump. Right. Because, <laughs> I mean, there's reasons. It's all this deep seated structural stuff, racism, sexism. But they're going, no, 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 no. It was spooky Russians. And then, like, you know, I mean, have you ever met anybody that's like really, really into that stuff? They go off on a whole 
you know, yeah. they're, they're like, it's very tinfoil hatty. It's kind of the same well, thing in my opinion. This is, this is actually really interesting you brought that up because I would say um, I, I'm kind of like in a weird position with this. So I agree with you. And right after the election, I was like, all right, let go of this Russia thing. And I looked into some of it and the dossier or whatever, all that. When all these docs were coming out, I like tried to understand. And to be fair, at the time, I didn't feel as threatened in my very fabric of life. So I didn't try that hard to understand it. And I just thought, and the people in charge will figure it out. Um, And it was fun. I remember (laughs) like, ooh, Russian conspiracy. Like It was fun for a minute. Well, so I think so. This is where I this is where I am now. And you may disagree, but it's. I just wanted to give my background so you know I didn't start from like wanting to blame Russia. And I still don't blame Russia, to be fair. But I talked about this on the last pod where I uh, interviewed this author who actually did a lot of research. And I asked her just point blank because I was like, as a comedian, I'm not a journalist. Can I just ask you, what's your thought on Russia? And she said, she said she's a journalist. She can't make any conclusions without proof. Um, But every time she was researching the book, she just kept tripping over Russia connections. But that doesn't, like you said, assumptions, right? That doesn't imply there's a real motivation or that there is um, not defense mechanisms in America to combat that. Of course, other countries are always trying to get to us. That's like base knowledge of every intelligence agency. Doesn't mean they've succeeded. So that's where I am now is I'm not saying that we're at a threat of being taken over by Russia. But in more um, of my recent research, I've definitely found more alarming direct ties to the White House and government um, that imply that we may be working closer with Russia than feels safe. So I from where I stand, I just go, I just hope to God you guys know what you're doing and in this game and you're not letting them get the leg up because you both have your reasons for working with each other. And, you know, when you partner with someone who's also trying to take advantage of you, like obviously we're probably trying to take advantage of them too. So I just think, I hope they're competent enough. It doesn't mean I think they are literally being run by Russia, but it does provide a higher risk when they're that close is more where I stand. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, I mean, that, that's a good, a good point. Um, I should, I should also say this since I made my whole point about Russia or whatever is like, uh, I'm not saying that, <laughs> nothing happened right clearly there's like stuff going on there and trump has all these shady deals so it would be equally foolish to be a complete hardcore conspiracy theory about, theorist about this as it would to be like nothing has ever happened between russia and trump i think i think what's more important to me is understanding like when mm. the person running for president on the democratic side just tells you um <laughs> you know we don't need to fix anything we did last time because yeah. The only reason that happened last time was Russia. Like the, the narrative is what's important to me here. So it's interesting. There's, you know, there's material reality. There's things that actually happened. But then there's like the narrative, the media, yes. the the stories we tell to explain away things. That stuff is very interesting to me because like, yeah, I mean, you're right. Like, of course, of course, Russia is trying to do stuff with our elections. I mean, but we do that to every I mean, to be we fair, do that, right? every We've, big like, country yeah, medals in every other country's election. They don't We're always actively succeed. doing it right now. Yes. We just did it in Bolivia, and we've tried yeah. to overthrow Venezuela like four times. In the We're last awful. Year. We're actually one of the worst for the number. USA is number one at uh, <laughs> oppressing and putting in uh, terrorist regimes and calling it democracy. But you know that's neither here nor there. But uh, every country does do a version of that. So yeah, I see what you're saying. It's like, I prefer looking at facts over feelings, right? Just because someone's trying to, well, I always try to break it down on relationships because originally this podcast started from just the idea of therapy and looking at the self. And I think you can broaden that out to the government, but like if you're in a stable relationship and you know, and uh, some, someone who really doesn't want to see you happy is really coming for, for your man or your woman or whatever, you know, your partner, and they really are trying to homewreck, that doesn't mean that it will succeed. But yes, that can be quite (laughs) annoying. That doesn't mean that you you also don't need to fix shit around your own house, right? (laughs) Exactly. These are all separate things. It can be true that someone is actively trying to homewreck. It can also be true that your relationship is strong. It could also be independently true that your relationship is weak, you know, these are all possible. Um, and it's also valid to be annoyed that they're trying to homework. Like, I don't think, I think we get so focused on feeling powerless. Like, if we knew Russia was actively trying to ruin our election, of course the reaction isn't to do nothing. Like, you, you can be frustrated, you could be annoyed. But then it's also, 
what is in your control is to, you know, tighten up democracy and your country and what you stand for and come together and, and show that, you know, sorry, you guys want, you know, you want my man, you can't have him. So you want my democracy, <laughs> you can't have him, you know. Uh, right. So I don't know. I, kn I know that's a very dumb metaphor. And, you know, that's my brand. Just oh, being no, a dumb I like bitch, it. But I like uh, the metaphor of <laughs> Russia as a seductress, sultry, <laughs> you know, uh, a tart, I guess, a harlot. But there's like ways. So this is where I, this is where I become radical, and I don't even think I am. But somehow, just by existing as like a, a queer person of color in you know Hollywood, I mean trying to get in Hollywood, if we're being honest, is uh, radical by existence. And I don't even consider myself that. I think I'm normal because that's my point of view. So what I would say to that is, based on my experience, if that were true. It also doesn't mean the goal is to not get your partner to cheat or sleep. Like there's so many routes you can go with that depending on your beliefs and views. Like if I was in a situation where I was like, this person that you clearly find attractive, but you're not going to sleep with is actively trying <laughs> to sleep with you and they're not going to stop. And we've agreed. And if I'm communicative and honest, like there maybe is a world if I'm comfortable where I say, do you want to just fuck her? Like to get Wait. her out of here? Do you want, like, do you want that? Like I, not everyone has the capability and um, emotional, you know, bandwidth to do that. And to be honest, I don't know if I would either, but I'm just saying there's other options, right? The other option isn't just to keep fighting back. There's an option where you go, what do you want? What do I want? I want her to leave us alone. And I know that you'll be with me whether you fuck her or not. Do you want to just fuck her? There's like ways around it uh, is what I'm trying <laughs> to say. It's, it's not so yeah. black and white or... Uh, yeah, it's not just capitalism versus fascism versus what they would like well, us to think is social. It calls it a question: What is uh, yeah? What is mm -hmm. our conflict with like something like Russia or like other states? What are we even doing? Why do we have states that are in competition <laughs> with each other? Um, Why don't we just focus like, on making this country great? And then maybe Russia wants to be a part of it, and we're like, oh, here's a legal immigration process. Come on and join in and become an American. Like, there's other ways. I'm not saying that we should take over Russia. I'm just saying if they're trying so hard to take us over, is there a world where we're like, hey, we're pretty great, but come on in, just do it the legal way. Well, see, then <laughs> I think you're getting into like actually big, 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 big picture stuff, which is, you know, it, a par part of this, it's weird because Russia's like a, you know, we already took it, it over and installed capitalism in Russia. So it's another capitalist state. We're not in a cold war anymore, which was, you know, fighting between mm -hmm. two. Yeah, the USSR is over. Uh, yeah, I, it's we're not people. A lot of people still use the. But we the, don't know the that communist Americans imagery don't with know them. That. It's like no, they're cat. They're like us. We we literally made that. We put Starbucks and McDonald's and shit over there, and uh, made a bunch of rich people uh, rich or a bunch of powerful people rich or whatever over there, and then set it up like. So it's weird that we're in competition with them. But I guess what you're saying, this metaphor about opening <laughs> this up to like a polycule, I think is actually a good <laughs> metaphor for like. Uh, you know, not, I mean, it could be like Trotskyist world communism, but I think more what we, what we would do, what the American government would do to, we were to, we, to get along with Russia and then have them leave us alone is like, uh, probably some sort of like healthy trade, you know, mm -hmm. where we, we wouldn't really be in some sort of situation where, uh, I mean, like, yeah, what's even the conflict between our governments, really? I mean, I guess well, there's a lot of, uh, I think, oil, to be honest. It's like you said, money. There's a lot of struggle for the biggest GDP. And I, I and here's where I talk beyond my knowledge. So feel free to at me and call me a dumb bitch. But I believe Russia, Saudi Arabia and U.S. kind of have like oil wars that they struggle with. So uh, not struggle, but they're, you know, head to head. So I think competing, yeah. Yeah, so I think Russia and us, like sanctions and all that, we say it's in the name of human rights, but then we've got human rights issues at home and we don't care about them. So, yes, on one hand, you know, from a UN point of view, yeah, we should be harsh on China and Russia until they, you know, address their human rights issues. But if that is really our goal, why are we not addressing Let's our see. own human rights issues? Not, see, now you're getting it, right? The narrative, it doesn't really make any sense. They're telling you, like, the story of one thing like oh it's about human rights when it's actually about competition yeah to just to grow our like you know our, our gdp or whatever but it, like it doesn't make any <laughs> sense because you know oil is sooner or later going to run out and it's it's destroying the world you know 
And at some point, we're going to have to switch to something that there, there's not going to be like a scarce quantity of, so there's no reason to compute over it. So at some point, the end of this, the you know, the, if there were like an international version of the Green New Deal, it would mm. be to take the competitive nature out of this and just have us all work together to set up like renewable energy sources. But that'll never happen because, because and I billionaires. Think we might have read some similar shit about this, but have you ever read Dark Money by Jane Meyer? No, but it's been referenced in some of the... So, uh, yeah, I read the um, Anne Nelson book about Shadow Network, and she's references like Lee Fang, and I know you said you guys are friends online. So there's definitely crossover in that world. It's a small world of people actually trying to dig this up, and the info's out there, but it's, it's very dense. I will say I don't blame anyone for not knowing this. I... You oh, it's know, very boring. It's, yeah. I, and I barely understand it, but now that I'm starting to, I want everyone to, and I realize, like, nobody has the time or energy, and I may also be doing this as a way to cope. You know, we're all driven by our needs. <laughs> and yeah, like if you don't, if all your needs are met, you're not going to feel like you need anything. And that's the truth. Russia maybe has needs that we could also help address and then they wouldn't be so actively antagonizing us. But. Well, certainly the people of Russia, because when we talk about Russia, we think about like, oh, Putin or whatever. But it's mm. like, that's just the guy that's running shit over there. The There are... Uh, 99% of people in America and 99% of people in Russia have more in common with each other than they than yes. we don't. But yeah. it's just the goddamn people in charge are running everything. And the people in charge, I'll tell you this, <laughs> we kind of we got to it. We started talking about oil, right? All this stuff that motivates our government that we think, it, they tell us, oh, it's about making the world a better place and make people, you know, spreading freedom or whatever. Hmm. It's actually about that damn oil. And the thing about oil is that it's historically been owned by the most like hardcore almost anarcho-capitalist people in all of the history of the earth which mm. is you know the Koch brothers and all that sort of shit dark mode is a really good book because it goes into the origins of where those fuckers even came from is it about the coke from, network like, yeah it's okay. about the coke the coke to puss is what it's called oh, gotcha. like you know you see those old political cartoons with the tentacles <laughs> everywhere but there's people in that world that like you know, it's not it's not an accident that they're like this. Like, there's this guy William Lafave. He's one of my favorite characters oh, okay. in all of the history of capitalism. Who uh, he was in a like a cult called the the Church of Theosophy that like a bunch of oh, our God. modern spooky Aleister Crowley stuff comes out of. And they used to have like rituals where they would chant and try to kill Franklin Delano Roosevelt with their minds and like what? curse him and shit. This is where all this stuff comes from, right? It's really interesting. That's why I kind of got into it. Because you're right. There's nothing we can do about it. It's just I'm reading this stuff to try to feel like I have some sort of control over the world. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's a, it's crazy people. That's what that I do just, every it, morning um, in my yoga class. I didn't know that was a problem, but I guess I'll be unsubscribing to that. <laughs> well, he's, YouTube. he's dead now, so I guess it doesn't matter. <laughs> oh, no, it worked. Uh, um, no, I... I know what you're saying. It's weird. Wait, can I interject right, right, just because I wanted to say something? But when you mentioned this guy coming from a cult, this is my like overall hypothesis. That, and I try to not make assumptions because I want to just talk about facts. But because this is my podcast and I'm a comedian, I will make assumptions <laughs> in my podcast. But I'm letting you know it's one. So think for yourself. Uh, my hypothesis about all of this on a big level, on a small level, like why people abuse or manipulate is because of on some level there's trauma and there's some need that they're not filling and they if you have power and money then you can continually try to fill it the wrong way and and nobody will stop you right so in fact you may draw in more people who you can abuse who think that you're filling their needs blah 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 pyramid schemes you know we see that but your exam you bringing up cult totally illustrates that and again i've done no scientific research so i might be off base but the gut feeling to me there is someone who can be easily manipulated into feeling like they belong or have power when they feel powerless for whatever trauma they have will continue that cycle as they get older. And if it works for them and it goes unchecked, they will just continue exponentially abusing that power. And that kind of speaks to that as well. I, I totally, I think so. I mean, it's interesting because there's like, there's, there's material arguments to be made about the fact that, some people have more money than other people. Like, it just shouldn't happen. It shouldn't, things shouldn't be set up that way. But there is also this inner world stuff that we talk about, mm. right? There's I, One of my favorite uh, philosophers I'm kind of stuck on is uh, Gilles Deleuze. I'm reading a lot about right now. He's sort of um, oh, who is it? figured out. About... Wait, can you say that crazy again? F- Gilles Deleuze. Okay. Uh, crazy French guy who sort of um, understood the world to be like – 
viewable through two lenses, right? Mm. The Marxist and the Freudian. So Marx tells you the entire world can be understood to be like material. So all the things that happen to you that affect things and that shape your experience come from without. They are thing, other things that happen to you. Mm-hmm. Then Freud is kind of makes the opposite where he's everything comes from within. Everything that motivates you in your life is, hmm. you know, your Oedipus and your you want to have sex with your parents and all this weird <laughs> shit and uh, right. Which and has been just proven just that part. Like that, Which, that, what? that, that part, the Freudian complex has been disproven, uh, in the field, like the idea that all kids want to have sex with their parents, but that, yeah, Freud is not very popular in psychology. I was a psych student in college before I dropped no, but out. It's, it's, I, I bring that up point, not to, um, uh, oh, like uh, just to, uh, further highlight what you're saying about how we reference things. And because we are so used to these symbols, like I forget, it goes back to something you were saying earlier and I don't remember exactly the way you said it, but the feeling was you say it like you know it, but there's no facts. Like we all know in psychology it's been disproven, yet we still bring up the Freudian complex in our day-to-day language as if it's a thing that has, but it's not, it's been disproven. It's just a thing that some people have, but it's not like a thing that everyone has, but we still talk about it like it is, even though science has evolved. Freud is, Freud's funny, I think, because (laughs) he is important because he came first. Mm -hmm. He was the first person to really bring back the idea in, you know, new industrialized society and developed society to bring back, uh, like, and to make scientific the idea that there's like an inner world that's complicated and abstract inside people. And that's a thing that like people hadn't really talked about since there were like shamans and stuff. Right. Mm. But the thing is, since he was the first guy, he was the worst at it. So all of his explanations are crazy. None of it makes any sense. He's a weird old <laughs> pervert and stuff. Right. <laughs> the only well, thing that's really of, you important can to dissect it to make sense, but it's not word for word making sense. Like there's, there's ideas it's, in it. Yeah. It, I would describe him as taking artistic license. Like he like, you know, <laughs> had a little poet. fun with he's his theories, right? <laughs> yeah. He's more of an artist, right? But anyway, um, I think that's interesting. You know, this inner world, outer world thing. A lot of Americans, we're, we're, since we, you know, are part of this country that waged this very highly propagandized war against <sighs> communism and socialism, we're very anti-Marxist. So we're very anti the material explanation. And that's why everyone doesn't understand that rich people control everything. Because like you have to have you have to be a Marxist to understand that you have to think mm. materially. But what we do have here in America, everyone's really kind of a Freudian, especially out in California. Where you guys yeah. are all the woo-woo crystals and stuff. Everyone is like very into the inner world. So we sometimes forget. I forget because I'm so into the into the material stuff. I forget to think about that stuff. And you're I was bringing this back to your point you were making about rich people. They're deeply sick inside. <laughs> you know when you see did you see those people the other day? in St. Louis who were like defending their mansion with like a assault rifle oh. and a handgun. It was God, a weird middle aged couple. Being on comedy Twitter is so weird because I only saw jokes about it and sometimes I bother <laughs> to look it up. So like there's another joke I saw about I know a spot and I was just like, I don't even care where this is from. I'm I'm not even gonna bother this one will come and go within a few days. But I saw the jokes. I didn't see the original story. I could have looked it up. I just gathered based on the jokes I've gotten to a point where I don't like the there's something that kind of makes me a little bit sick of uh, us finding glee and shaming people because that now that I've kind of see a lot of these bad behaviors are driven by that. Yeah, it's inner and outer world. But the trauma like shaming someone who disagrees with you to me on a human level makes me feel a little bit bad like I it's not helping me yeah, get where I want to go. And it's also negative. It's adding actively adding negative value to my world when I shame someone else, even if I disagree with them. So I've kind of held off on things like that. Like I'll still make jokes when I feel like (laughs) they're my point of view, but I don't really like pointing out um, just strangers and how dumb they are. I don't know. It's I'm changing every day. Like I feel like I'm sure you could find an example of me doing that in the past. I just feel a little conflicted now doing that. I mean, yeah, it's weird. It's weird that we kind of have this ritual human sacrifice thing going on on the internet where everyone's like, you know, bloodthirsty and no one realizes, oh, that could be me tomorrow. But I, me personally, with like, I think it's okay to, to be that mean to people that are in really high positions of power yes. because no one's that ever going to be mean to them. And they don't, they, you know, kind of live in 
world like Trump. Like it's mm-hmm. okay to be that mean to Trump. Yeah, like, it's like he's the punching probably up the rule. worst person, you know. And he's you know unrepentant and mean and evil about it. So you know, if we weren't mean to him, he would probably just think he's doing a great <laughs> job, right? It's like the so, the punching up, punching down rule in comedy. And I guess I don't know. I I assume that couple was uh just like a random couple. I don't didn't recognize them as like anyone powerful or famous, but. And that's why I didn't look. But there was another one that was clearly just a random person, a, a Karen, as, as the Internet calls her, um, just a, a yeah. white middle aged woman in a Trader Joe's in North Hollywood. And people were sharing her breakdown because she wouldn't wear a mask. And I don't agree with people not wearing masks, but that's a separate issue uh, than spreading yeah. a video of someone's actual breakdown, because to me, I'm like, that's not punching up. I don't know what's going on in her life. I can only imagine, like, you know, everybody's stressed out right now. And she's to have a breakdown in a grocery store in front of strangers, you can't be in a good place. Whether or not I agree with your politics, whether or not you've murdered someone, like, I, as someone who doesn't want to hurt anyone, don't find glee in making fun of someone's mental breakdown. Uh, and so that's where I draw the line. But, yes, if Trump, our president, was having a breakdown on TV, I'd be like, Sharing it to be like, maybe he's not fit to be our leader. And I think he should get help, but I don't think he should be our leader. So I would, it's a little yeah. bit different in that situation if I'm making fun of him, because that's almost like commenting to get people to see the truth to get him out of office. And then he should still get help. I don't think we should dump him in the ocean, but uh, we should definitely make sure he can't hurt anyone. But and that's where Trump I stand. didn't have him. any money and he wasn't president and he wasn't, in you know all these these things are the things that make it a problem right he's affecting yeah. other people with his wealth and his power and his job and his government and shit he didn't have any of that stuff he would be great i think <laughs> like he'd be like a fun i don't know because look at, i mean know? i know a ton of open micers who act like that and they still wreak havoc and they're they get nowhere and have no resources so there's yeah, tons I mean, of abuse in right. comedy world and i would say that's the extreme opposite of having no power <laughs> Yet uh, a lot of delusion. Uh, and I, I'm not out of, I mean, I'm not excusing myself from criticism. I constantly say, please cancel me if you want. But I have no career to cancel, so therefore it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, so this is all yeah. so interesting. I want to like pare it down a bit just so we don't get too, because I know there's so much. You have an entire podcast about this and I could talk for hours. So let's let's like make it more specific so we can focus. Um you're, you say you're a Marxist. I'm assuming you've read up a lot about that sort of thing. I don't, that's an element I've never really gotten too into. And I would say probably as a result of propaganda, of me staying away from communism and me being a Chinese American, even more so right. anti-communist, uh, you know, for the record, in case anyone's that racist or ignorant, Chinese people are not all communists. The Chinese government right now is being run by communists, but I'm from free China or whatever. So uh, I've always kind of stayed away from that. But can you maybe like break down, uh, why don't you like tell us maybe a few ideas. I, I'm not gonna give you a number because it's not like actual school, but more specific ideas that are concrete from Marxism that you like, that you feel like uh, are maybe people misunderstand. Yes, and before I do, I kind of want to talk to what you're talking about with China because um, I, it's, it's you know, communism is a dirty word in America. And it's also, especially if you're from China or something like that, um, it's really dicey to talk about. And I don't want you to think that I'm like a pro-Chinese government communist. Uh, <laughs> I know, I, I know. I think what's going on in China is bad, but it's also, it's not like communism. It's like this. It's author. not. No, it's capitalism. It's well, they're both fascist. Wait, before, because I am curious. You said you know a lot about history and you or you like it. What uh, yeah. what do you know about the Chinese Chinese Civil War? Have you read about that at all? Or do, are you in? It's OK uh, to say no. I, I barely I only recently really got way more into it. And I was surprised that so little Americans know about it. So, you know, honestly, like. China's the next big thing that I really want to learn a lot about, and I don't think that I'm really qualified to speak that from a place of authority on it. Yeah. A lot of this stuff uh, became interesting to me because I, uh, my mom's white, so I'm all pale, but my dad's Mexican, so I'm from Latin American, you know, background and stuff. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of like there are a lot of expatriates from Latin American countries mm-hmm. where there's similar stuff going on. Like half of them 
hate communism and think it's the worst thing ever because because a lot a lot of those are rich people who like got all their yeah. stuff taken away and then there's a lot of people who like love it but they never get represented because you know they still live in cuba or whatever you well, know there's also false um, socialism like madero right i feel like was under the guise of there's just a lot of americans spinning the narrative like you said into saying like this is fascism this is socialism when it's all just different shades of <laughs> t- that's, ty- that's ty- tyrannical governments yeah important kind of baseline thing to understand is that like nowhere on earth really has a hundred percent properly executed communism or capitalism. We all just live in like these uh, permutations of it playing out a certain way. Yeah. So even America is like not, even if it says, Oh, it's the most capitalist place in the world. Well, it's not, it's not like, you know, that all the way extreme. (laughs) So, you know, I don't, here's what I'm getting at. uh I wanted to make a distinction. There are people if you get into this side of Twitter and these weird circles and these activist circles and stuff, you'll meet what's called a tanky. You ever heard that term? No. Okay, so there's people who basically I think are you're born, you know, they're raised in America, taught all the propaganda. Uh-huh. Then maybe you get out of high school and you read like a Howard Zinn book and you realize a lot of it was bullshit. Mm-hmm. And there are some elements from socialism that are pretty good or whatever. And then what they do is they think they make this big, big, big false assumption, which is, well, everything America's ever done must be bad. And everything every Chinese, every uh... communist government's ever done must be good. Right. And then you become like a you're in your early 20s and you're walking around with a PJ shirt and a hat and all that shit. And uh, those people are dumb, too. I am not one of those <laughs> people. I'm someone who thinks that. A better world is possible, and it doesn't exist yet. Yes. I don't think that, like, you well, know, Russia nailed it or anything like that. They're not done. I, I actually, I love that you brought that up, uh, and I barely, again, if you just even go back into my old tweets or podcast, probably from even, like, two months ago, I'm sure I'm calling people stupid all the time. So this is, you can hear me actively <laughs> growing and also getting actively unfunnier which is very frustrating for myself, but also whatever. But, like, <laughs> for me to be like, you know what, they're not dumb, but they if we were all in a good place, I would say they are dumb, but only because I'm trying to reach out to people like that. The reason I don't think they're dumb, I think they're um, vulnerable. I think that's what it is. I think because what you talked about, it's similar to what I've been noticing in the way the extreme right, I want to say brainwash. That's how it feels. Indoctrinate, I will say, ideas. Um, it's, it's almost cult-like. So they start like how Scientology, which we all kind of actively agree is, you know, culty with a stress test, something simple where you feel seen and you maybe find out one or two things that you suspected weren't real aren't. And then, like you say, they make a very big assumption. But at that point, you're hooked because if you're vulnerable and you've never felt like someone's heard you or seen you your entire life, or maybe you've never felt love, right? Like these are things that everyone needs, but you didn't address. And all of a sudden, a group tells you it's all going to be okay. They make you feel love. They make you feel safe. They make you feel powerful. Yeah, you're going to go along with everything they say. So that these are all different shades of the same sort of pattern of abuse where someone takes you in and, you know, maybe gives you a little bit of truth and then gives you a whopping lie. Yeah, I mean, you're right. What all of these things are is just simply put, an explanation, right? Because most people <laughs> you just kind of have a hollow thing in the middle of you, and you're like, why do I feel so bad all the time? Then you accidentally walk into the Scientologist building. Next thing you know, you spent the next 10 years of your life doing that shit or whatever. Or, or you know, you become like one of those Trump psychos. It's like, <laughs> the reason my life sucks so much is because of the immigrants or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, all these are just explanations for why do I feel so for bad? For why right? you why can't work on yourself. Work? And I would argue that Marxism is specific is, is good because it's yeah it's the only one that's actually kind of true which huh. is the reason you feel so bad probably if you're someone in the modern world who isn't you know in the one percent is because of the people in the one percent and the way things are set up because we don't have resources um distributed mm. fairly so mm. uh, people talk about like capitalism and socialism and communism as like um forms of government and i don't think that's a good word for mm. it i think the better the better word for it is uh, forms of distributing goods. Oh, That's all it is. It's like a business right? plan almost. Well, I mean, honestly, one of them is a one of them. Capitalism is a business plan, and that the, the point of a business is to, you know to grow and expand. And mm. communism is. There's but no not necessarily. Just... I don't think every business is. That's because we're limited in our capitalist view. There are businesses that have more of a functional. Um, 
purpose, like to stay afloat and do a functional need. Like there's a lot of well, government see, businesses see, that do that. That's why, well, a government, but a government, see, there's, there's three things here, right? There's businesses, then there's like gov, just the government, which just yeah. is any, but that's communism. Go the government <laughs> being funded to serve a purpose that isn't for profit is yeah. That's all communism is. Um, Nonprofits are somewhere in the middle. And actually, I think they're a really good way of looking at why this shit doesn't work. But they get like exploited most all the time. Well, they just functionally can't work because yeah. the only, they only they have to keep you have to expand as a business to fucking right. pay everyone. And like they, they eat like half the money. Like you're just paying yes. for them to make lanyards and shit. Yeah, all yeah, this yeah. money. Also, the other thing is anytime. OK, anytime like a rich celebrity on Twitter <laughs> is like getting attacked for being blatantly rich and gross about it. They're always like, I give money to nonprofits. I donate money. Right. Well, Bill Gates does that a lot, right? Bill Gates always says, oh, we have this foundation. We give all this money, right? And uh, that's fine. And that's like a good Band-Aid or whatever. But, like, shouldn't we – shouldn't they just pay taxes so that mm -hmm. we vote on where their money goes, right? They're mm -hmm. maintaining control over where they send their money. And a lot of times, those are just shell companies that they use to funnel it back into their own pockets anyway, right? So this is why left shit – redistribution of wealth which is what commie shit is is a good element to reintroduce into our government because otherwise you know our tax our ta all this all this is all a lot of fancy words for just saying our money that mm. we tax on bill gates and all that shit should just go into us being able to go to the hospital for free right that's yeah. it interesting it's not that scary well okay wait i want to um, get into marxist but just i'm gonna do a quick like uh like a couple sentence summary of the chinese civil war just because i i and then Please. you can do the reading on your own, but just for listeners for the background, because I actually realized I barely knew all this until recently. But, um, you know, so forgive me if you guys know this, but China. Fought... No one knows this stuff. <laughs> they don't teach us it. So, and for a reason. So China fought with the allies in World War Two. And actually the Chinese, the Sino-Japanese war actually started before really even Germany was involved in the World War Two. Japan was invading China. So I think we loosely know this from world history, but we focus more on the Euro part of the war. So I got interested in this because I recently found out my great-grandpa in China was a major general who actually accepted the defeat of the Japanese at, at the end of World War II. And like that was the army that did all the rape of Nanking atrocities. So people kind of like saw him as a hero, whatever. And I just made a joke on Twitter because there's a statue of him. And I was like, I, I think it's cool, but I wouldn't mind if they took it down to free China. <laughs> but... Um, but that got me interested in learning more. But so the allies, China fought with the allies, and that's the Kuomintang, which is the old Chinese government, the Republic of China. Then after World War II, when every you know everybody was kind of weak because the war, we all fought a huge war. Russia was starting to gain power, and already at that point, Russia was you know they helped us win with Stalingrad and stuff. But they were sort of like a you know a frenemy, I think, according to the you know American ideals. So at the towards the end of the this era, Russia armed like communists in China and helped that party get bigger. So China was a democracy. Then the civil war happened. And when the civil war happened, all the other countries kind of stayed out of it. And this goes into like othering, I think, of cultures, because I think if France was going through a civil war, I feel like a lot of the other European countries would have gotten involved. But there's this feeling that it's like China was getting big. It was getting threatening because they were getting richer and smarter and, you know, generally threatening to the um, positions of some of the bigger European countries. So they, I think, secretly were happy that there's some trouble brewing. They didn't want communism to take over, but they weren't so quick to squash it. So that being said, they left, they let the war happen. Um, Russia helped the communists take over. But here's the thing I didn't know, and my dad told me this, so it could be propaganda, but I believe it, is that I'm, America not only didn't help China fight the civil war, but they actually armed some of the communists to help take over. And they pushed for dividing China in half the way Korea is divided to say, like, yeah. why can't you guys just get along? Half of it can go to communists. Half of it can go to democracy. Then, you know, China will be weak and not as big of a threat. And also we can pat, our, pat ourselves on the back and say we helped save democracy. Interesting that at that point they didn't want to fight China the communists in China because they were a threat. But of course, them helping the communists actually made it so the, the um, Kuomintang lost the civil war. They retreated to Taiwan. So that's what Taiwan is now. The government from Taiwan was recognized by the UN as Kuomintang, which is, was ch literally China, 
for a while until China communists got so big. I, I use the Star Wars reference because everyone loves Star Wars. It's like the rebels. That <laughs> we watch the rebels thinking they're good, but technically they're not the legitimate government. The chancellor was the legitimate government. If we're all following laws, like it doesn't mean it's sure. right, but that's the law, right? So the UN recognized Taiwan for a while because they were like, you guys helped us win World War II. We like you. But then they were like, China's so big now. There's a lot of pressure. It's just between you guys. We're not going to get involved. So now Taiwan's yeah. kind of faded into the background. But that's the history of it. And that's why I think it's so interesting that Trump has manipulated Americans who don't know the history to think China's responsible for coronavirus. China is bad. When China actually fought really hard to save democracy and America fucking <laughs> came in and let communism win. I mean, these are broad strokes. But um, now we're in this weird place where we're fighting Russia and China. And we kind of honestly let that happen and wanted it to happen. So that's why, from my perspective and identity, I don't see the world as black and white because it's kind of like my identity has changed depending on who's in charge. But I've always kind of just felt like human rights are important and that's where I stand. Yeah, totally. That's really interesting. Um, yeah, I don't I don't really know any of that stuff, but I want to learn about it. Do you know any good books or anything? Or um, um, I don't know, anything I should read? Well, so Anne, the uh, author I talked to, said her husband wrote one called The Black Hands of Beijing. I haven't read it yet, but she said he's also a journalist, I think, and it's all about the democratic movement in China that's been pushing since the takeover. So I haven't read it yet. I don't know if it's any good. Um, I imagine there's not that much um, documentation because China was kind of limiting stuff. So a lot of it's coming out now from first-person accounts. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I'm interested too, but that's, that's cool. a loose... Yeah, feel free to correct me if I got anything wrong. Obviously, these are passed down from people who heard propaganda in Taiwan as well. So, okay. Yeah, so. I mean, you just got to keep all that <laughs> stuff in mind when you read anything. You know, there's like a limited amount. You can really be sure what's what's entirely true or whatever, or what the person's motivations are. But yeah. um, I yeah, want to hear I mean, about really the Marxist specifics now. So what did we get wrong? Because in my mind, you know, I just stay away from communism because they took over my country. But I know I know it's not true, but that's the feeling that I live with. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's hard. I, I don't. It's hard to make an argument when when you're talking to somebody who's in a position like that. And I never want to be disrespectful about it because I don't. I'm not arguing for the communists that you know no, are no, in I power know. in China. Yeah. I want the you ideas, know? the I, good ideas, not the bad ones. Um. So I mean, I guess the 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 basics are kind of um like class analysis. Mm. So. You know, in America, right, and especially like in our circles and comedy and stuff, we somehow always seem to understand power as, uh, you know, this thing that's like very identity based. Right. So, mm. you know, we, we talk about like kind of trying to make our scene a better place and the world a better place. We always talk about like, um, you know, diversity and stuff mm -hmm. like that and how, you know, we have white supremacy in America, so we need to include more people that aren't white and white people have all this privilege and stuff. We somehow everyone understands all this stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And all this stuff is true, but nobody ever mentions this thing called class, mm -hmm. which is very simple, right? Some people are rich and some people are poor and some people are somewhere in the middle and yeah, right? Um, so, you know, right off the bat, I mean, the first thing to understand is that like, um, you know, class privilege is a real thing. If you were born with a certain amount of money, this is foundational to understanding every other type of privilege, honestly, is like, you know, does someone have not just money, but like wealth, right? That's going to make it, mm. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what radicalized me kind of in terms of being a comedian <laughs> yeah. was moving to New York. I came from Texas, right? And I lived in smaller towns where everyone was just kind of working class and everyone was kind of having fun. Mm -hmm. And then I, mo I moved to New York and I realized pretty quickly, like <laughs> I'm competing uh. with a bunch of other people. And some of them are like, you know, the parents pay their rent. Yeah. Some of them have never had a job. Cause I mean, I know somebody here who's literally like an heir, like an heir. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like uh -huh. a fortune is funding them being a comedian. Right. So I looked at all that and I went, Oh, this is not a level playing field. And this is how all of America kind of works, because mm. when the, when people get to rocket to the top via all of that money behind them, they turn around and they say, oh, I, I, I worked really hard. Right. Mm. And that's the American dream is, oh, I worked really hard and then I got what I, you know, I started a business or, or whatever. Or I got myself, you know, a career going as a comedian. But it's a lie because it wasn't mm. fair 
competition to begin with, right? So that's well, it's not stuff. empathetic, but I would uh, argue it's not a full lie. I do think, and some of them don't work hard, but some of them really, in their mind, they worked really hard, but they haven't considered how much harder they would have to work. That's what privilege is. Right. So it's like when we say right. you didn't work know. hard, they get frustrated because they're like, yeah, you don't know how fucking hard I worked. It's like, you know what? <laughs> I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say, okay, you can have that. You did work hard, but you don't know how much harder you would have had to work. That because it's like I don't want to negate their feelings of hard work which they may actually have, but wow, if you only knew how much harder you would have to work, uh, I don't know if you'd still be doing this. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, this is like a relative, like a totem pole. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, all of us are on it to some degree. There are, I, there, I also don't understand how little I work in compared to someone who has worse off than me. Yeah. You know, it just keeps going down and down and down like that. And so that's set up, um, you know, basically because... The, the first thing that Marx and Engels sort of like identified is um, the worker t- to boss relationship, mm. you know? So um, what we have, you know what? Okay. Mm-hmm. A, there's a really, really popular um, piece of cinema that is a great explanation metaphor for all this. Have you ever seen Parasite? Yeah. Yeah. Parasite's times, a yeah, Marxist film. Bong mm-hmm. Joon-ho... If you if you read this stuff and then you watch his movies, it's like obvious. And yeah. he said he said as much as he said every single one of my films is about the same thing. It's about mm-hmm. capitalism, right? Mm-hmm. So, Parasite is a movie about the myth of class mobility, and that's central to capitalism, right? Everything in America is you know if you work hard, you can ascend, you can make it up the ladder, and then become the guy with the rich house. Mm-hmm. And then that story is kind of like a tragedy of people trying to do that, even yeah. cheating to the extent of trying to do it. It still doesn't work, right? Mm-hmm. So like. The the way Marxists look at it is you're a worker, right? You work for your boss, and your boss owns the factory that you're in. And what your boss tells you is that if you work hard enough in the factory, you can eventually go start your own factory, uh-huh. right? Because you can save all this money. But it's inherently not true <laughs> because they will always keep a proportion of the profit that Uh they make for themselves with really no justification other than they just, they run shit where the fuck else are you going to go? Right. Yeah. So Marxism is a way of looking at all those like dynamics in terms of value. This is where it gets really boring and your brain starts to mold over, but it's like, it's important. Um, so there's all these different terms for like, um, you know, the value created from the actual product that you start with your labor, you put into it. And then the fact that the owner is able to sort of keep an unfair amount of the labor, right? And so mm-hmm. if you've ever worked at, like, I'll give you an example. I used to, I used to be a bartender. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I open a drink. I shake a drink or whatever. I give it to somebody. They give me a certain amount of money. Mm-hmm. A certain, a certain Then the tip. Part of it goes to me. Part of it goes to the cash register. And, um, you know, that's just the system, right? Mm-hmm. At one point, I remember my, my – uh, boss introducing more and more more and more complicated cocktails at this place I worked at where I had to work harder to uh-huh. shake a thing for a full minute with an egg white in it and then they increased how much the drink cost yeah because it takes longer to make right but I didn't get any extra money uh-huh. right and I was like what the fuck you know what <laughs> why don't I get that money I did the work right mm-hmm. well that's because your boss owns your labor mm. like they're technically just using you and so you know when you think about these things in these terms it sort of helps you understand that like that myth is uh it's a lie that keeps everything kind of in place and it's the reason that things have become stratified so bad mm-hmm. because if it was pos- if everyone was sort of become become like prosperous through this situation everyone would have more money right but it's because that we you can see in America what the hell do we have Bernie Sanders running around yelling about 1% it's all become more concentrated in the top and really this was a good, this is a question that was happening in America. People were arguing about it for a long time until Ronald Reagan came along with a trickle down mm. economic theory and argued, mm. he set everything up in a way that if he was right, everyone would be rich right now. By now, but yeah. All the money concentrated in the top. So, like, um, you're not rich, Jake. You know, the, um, this is, I forgot to say, I'm right. in a mansion. This, I'm actually in a Tesla that looks like a house. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the new ones, they're fucking sweet. Um, so, like, you know, then I guess the second part of this whole equation is uh, what do you do about it? What do we do about the fact that we live in a society that functions this way, that makes rich people richer, richer and poor people poorer? 
Well, that's when people started coming up with stuff like unions, you know, mm-hmm. which is a good thing, I think. You get everyone at your workplace to agree that we can, you know, stop working until they increase working conditions or pay or whatever. That's a pretty cool tactic. Um, another thing that I'm really into is, like, the concept of, like, co-ops. Mm. you ever been to, like, a grocery store or a restaurant that's a co-op? Yeah, I, I, someone recently proposed that in entertainment as like a, a radical change that I'm like, we should just have that. Like performers, especially like so networks that make the yeah. content, why don't we own a share of the network that we provide content for, things like that. Right. Yeah. So this mm-hmm. is like a good way to fight back against this stuff I'm talking about, the disproportion, is I think it's a really good idea. And I, I, there's actually a company called Means TV that I do some stuff with right now that's like trying to become the co-op like streaming uh stuff if anyone i just a free advertisement for means i think they're doing a good thing um check them out but um mm. yeah so like the way that works is yeah there's not one boss that owns all the stuff and takes the surplus value out of the top of it the way i was describing instead everyone mm. who works there buys mm. in for a little bit so everyone splits up that profit and keeps it for themselves and it's proportional to how much work you do that seems more fair right like That's a decentralized like... this is where you and we can't get too into this because we're starting to run out of time so i'll just tease it this is where you get into crossing over with my ai research because you're kind of describing decentralized government um but how do you set that up right you can't trust one person to code it unless you don't so what is i mean we're not quite there yet but we're getting closer neural networks like artificial neural networks supposedly mimic organic learning in your brain where the system adapts to the problem as opposed to like the old version of computers was you make one formula you plug in a thing and then it comes out at the end the idea that there's a nucleus and one central boss but now we're talking about algorithms that interact with each other and learn as they get as they get more information and they actually adapt the question basically like the question when you're all rich isn't how do we get richer it's maybe oh how do we be more equal you know the questions can change as the systems change and that's what ai strives to do cool i know right that's That's why i'm so fascinated by this i think we have a version of the future that could be really really good if we actually get educated well that's the thing about tech right so like a lot of people hate tech (laughs) culture in my circles anyway and all these freaking communists uh-huh. and anarchists and stuff everyone hates it because a lot a lot of tech is like very profit driven and it's you know it's these libertarian guys who think that like um you know society is very mathematical and them <laughs> creating profit will uh fix everything doesn't make any sense right but i think honestly like in my mind i want to take over i want to go to san francisco steal all that shit from the tech people and then just rewire it to be instead of <laughs> driven for profit just for people to get around better, right? Yeah. So, like, for example, like those Razor scooters, not Razor scooters, those uh, like Lime scooters you see everywhere, and uh-huh. like um, they're in a bunch of cities all over the country. There's, you put your credit card onto the damn thing, you can use a scooter to get around downtown Atlanta or whatever, right? Everyone hates those. I'm from Austin. Everyone hates, they install them in Austin. Everyone's mad at them because they're annoying because they charge you money to use mm. what's essentially a free thing, right? What what if that stuff was owned by the government and cities just had a way for people to get around and we all paid for it with our fucking taxes, right? Well, that I have a so much more sense. I have a third, even more advanced. We're not quite there yet, but is version that would solve both of those problems. And this is where I think tech is headed, and nobody in Silicon Valley is letting us know yet because it's profitable to keep their IP. I think the technology has gotten so advanced that we actually have a way of making a better future that right now that we're not using. So those scooters are not there to make your money. Like, let's be honest, every single technology company right now is in the data business. So here's what it should be. Every citizen, taxpaying citizen, gets a free scooter. And this is where the, the right who doesn't know how advanced the technology goes would be like, what are you talking about? Socialism? Communism? No, because actually there's intrinsic value. If every single person used that scooter and we agreed to give our GPS data but not our identifying human data to the central location that like charges it, we're generating literal data value by using these scooters that we ride around for free get to where we're going for free this is where we are and this is where i start to sound tinfoil hat but this is my whole push has been to like (laughs) let people know that technology exists we are there now and someone is making that money on your data and it's not you and it's not a bad thing like there's a version of the future where we all like i don't know if i would do this but where we all sign up to like let's say you make twenty thousand dollars a year just 
from agreeing to share your data with a company that is in the data collection business. They just give you a check and all you're do doing is agreeing to like, you know, let them track your, uh, you know, GPS. I mean, obviously you'd have to toggle with privacy, but like we're here. This is the kind of money that's being made in Silicon Valley. They don't want your money. They don't want your subscription fees. They want your data. So you, everything should be free because it's not free. They're making money. That's where we are now. And right. that's like, to me, the, the marriage of these two ideas of like, well, who's going to pay for it? You are, you're generating money by living. What if leisure could generate money? What if you playing tennis is generating movement data? It's generating data on uh, how to play better tennis that you could sell to, you know, sports, sporting good companies. That's where we are. Yeah, it's weird. A lot, of, a lot of people have a problem with that because that is honestly very similar to what they do in communist China in terms of yes. tracking people's data and stuff. If it's, maybe not but they for, don't distribute I, that. I don't know. They're not distributing yeah, that. I, you need to own the I revenue that you're making. I would do that in a second because I do not care if the government knows about what kind of porn I watch or whatever. <laughs> Any of the stuff people are freaking out. I don't care. I don't I care not. I'm an open book. I'm a comedian, right? Track everything. You, if the government wants to kill me, they could kill me anyway. Like they know where I live. You know what I mean? We were talking about that earlier. Everyone knows where I live. Mm. But uh, but I I don't know. A lot of people seem like they would be against that. I would totally do it though. But I mean, I'm saying that yeah, they're the doing that. I'm not saying that it's a choice. Right now, it's not a choice. People right, are selling. Doing it, yeah. their, yes, I'm not saying that we would all agree. I don't know if I would agree, but I don't agree now, and they're doing it. So I just don't think people are aware of how much money is being generated in the data business. Like it's. Yeah. Insane. And it's also the reason why, um, I don't know. It's, it's the right knows that though. And that's why they're really pushing for us to not know info, but yeah, uh, sorry. I really, this is all stuff that gets me really excited, but I, I'm the one who's getting you off topic. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> um, no, no, no. I'm hella interested. That's really cool. I want to know more. Well, let's wrap up with, I'm sure we can always continue talking, but for the pod, um, let's wrap up with, uh, okay. I'll ask you this question and you can answer if you want. If you sure. could start a new society and, you know, l let go of what the labels are, Marxist or capitalist, whatever, just Jake Flores' society, what are, um, <laughs> let's give you, because one rule is hard. Let's say what are your top three rules that everyone would have to follow? It could also be no rules. Um, no magic is allowed. Okay. Because sometimes <laughs> right, it goes into magic world. That. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. I mean, let's see. Um, so I'm struggling to not just copy straight from like. Sure, it could just be copied. You know, That's fine. Well, I mean, the first one, it's going to sound worse than it is, <laughs> but no private property, right? And uh -huh. the thing is, when people say that, Republicans a lot of times will freak out and they'll go, oh my God, this guy wants to come take your house or whatever, right? <laughs> or he wants to take all your property or whatever. That, that's, a, that's a communist concept or a, yeah. a socialist concept, right? It doesn't mean that you don't get to keep your house. Mm. What it means is you don't get to own your house and then charge someone else to live in it at an exorbitant rate mm. that keeps them in wage slavery. You know what I mean? Because like most of us rent, right? Mm -hmm. So we're in a shitty situation because someone else is just just charging us money to live in a home. Doesn't make any sense. No, no, mm. no, no, no. If I get to restart society, everyone just gets a freaking house, right? Yeah. And <laughs> if we need new ones, we just build them together, pool the money we use. That's it, right? That's so nature. Right You're that, describing nature. Birds 90... just build a nest. They don't have to pay rent. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> like animals, right? And so that's a – there's a an anarchist – Peter Kropotkin, who made ex kind of the same argument. He, came, he was he lived around the same time as Freud, or not Freud, uh, Darwin. And, uh -huh. But Darwin, you know, Darwin oh. says, oh, we come from these vicious animals that fought each other and stuff. Kropotkin says, no, 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 no. We're more like beavers. We mm. build stuff together, you know. We're like birds. We fly in a bee together. That's, I think, like that. I think we're more like that than, uh, than people realize. So, um, okay, the what's the next rule? rule is... Be an animal, like Kropotkin said. Okay, okay. Good <laughs> Everyone cool. picks their own animal house, uh, like in Game of Thrones, which oh, I'm a okay. big fan of. Um, Stuff's that kind of got kung fu, kung fu um, movie uh, vibes. Like, you learn styles of, yeah. you can learn, yeah. Okay, that's pretty good. I like that. Yeah, I like yeah. that you're, um, you know, bringing in my culture there. Okay, what's the, the, what's the third one? 
Uh, I guess I should do one that's just completely for fun. Um, <laughs> the third rule is, um, you know, don't work too hard, buddy. Take it easy. TGIF. I like that. <laughs> I like that you think it's for fun, but that is actually so important. Balance is important. Okay, so that's your utopia society. Um, yeah. Rule number three is you have a great goddamn day. Yeah, you know? you, yeah, that's really nice. I like that. Okay, I would live there. Um, yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing this. I know there's so much more I'm sure we could talk about, but I'm going to cut it off because of time and our listeners' time. But we can always catch yeah, up I another to, time. I have to yeah. stop. I have to stop myself when I start going <laughs> off on this shit. I could, I could go all day and I have to get shit done. So <laughs> we should. Is there should, anything uh, you want to chill. promote? I mean, definitely you guys should check out Jake's podcast. I'm going to listen to a few apps now. I feel like uh, I want to hear more. But uh, yeah, anything yeah. else? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so my podcast is called Pod Damn America, and it's me and two other comics who are just into, you know, left organizing and stuff who are comedians and, you know, daily show with better politics is how I would pitch it, right? <laughs> um, my other show, I have a second podcast I do with a, a booker slash anthropologist friend of mine named Luisa Diaz. Oh, yeah, I know uh, Luisa. That, She's great. Yeah, Louis, me and Luisa have a show where we um, we get kind of more into, like like, looking at modern pieces of, like, culture like stand-up comedy mm. or movies or whatever and then relaying it back to the Kropotkin and the Foucault and all that crazy shit and uh I don't know, just talk about the, the kind of the theory and the politics of the scene those are my two main things and uh my at is feral jokes on everything it's an anagram for my name I'm on Twitter a lot um that's probably it you know I mean at some point if stand-up ever comes back I do that too but you know <laughs> cool. this podcast Thank you. Um, you can follow this podcast at Tell Me Anything Pod. Follow me at Larissa T on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks, Jake.